Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. It seems every culture has strange, crazy, and weird laws. And our culture is no exemption of that fact. In fact, did you know that the state of Virginia has some of the weirdest and craziest and strangest laws? One article I read recently shares several of these laws, and I want to share a few of them with you. In fact, I want to share 10 of the craziest and weirdest, strangest laws in the state of Virginia. Did you know, number one, Virginian motorists must, must honk their horns if they are attempting to pass another vehicle. So the next time I pass you on the road, I'm going to obnoxiously lay on my horn. <laughs> Did you know that, I found this one interesting. Did you know that police officers are not allowed to use speed radar detectors. So the next time, by the way, I don't know if all these are, are exactly true to this very day. They were true and went, went the date when the article was written. But the next time I get pulled over by the officer, I hope it will not happen. But I'm going to just respectfully say, sir, did you know it is illegal for you to use that radar detector? <laughs> I'm sure that will not go well for me. In Waynesboro, I thought this one was very strange. It is illegal for a female motorist to drive her car along Main Street unless her husband is walking in front of the vehicle, waving a red flag in his hands. How about that? <laughs> oh, that's what we're doing wrong in Roanoke, huh? <laughs> in Prince William County, it is illegal for a motorist to park their vehicle on the set of railroad tracks. I'm not making this up. Why somebody would park their car there blows my mind. In Virginia Beach, it is illegal to drive by the same area within 30 minutes of Atlantic Avenue. Did you know, parents, grandparents, for all of you who have children and grandchildren, that children are not allowed to trick or treat on Halloween in the state of Virginia? <laughs> Man, we've been doing it wrong for decades. In Richmond, citizens cannot flip a coin in a dining establishment to see who gets to pay for coffee. <laughs> I thought this one was crazy. For all you ladies out there, you might appreciate this one the next time somebody tries to do this to you. It is illegal to tickle a woman in Virginia. <laughs> so the next time your significant other or your brother or your sister tries to tickle you, just, just remind them of that law. Virginians cannot hunt animals on Sundays, except for raccoons. Raccoons can be hunted until 2 a.m., Let's take our guns and charge the forest and demolish all the raccoons. I would like to alter and change this law to groundhogs. If I may, I would like to annihilate the groundhog race on this earth. Just kidding. And the last one. Did you know Virginians cannot spit on seagulls? I know you have that problem every time you go to the beach. <laughs> but just so you know, you cannot do that. These laws are strange, right? But I, I know that I want to commend you for making it thus far in our study of the book of Hebrews. Because in the book of Hebrews, it is not for the faint of heart. Because in the mind of the writer of Hebrews, he is going back to the Old Testament. 
specifically the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus, and highlighting some of the strange laws that we read in the Old Testament. And here we see in these first 18 verses that the writer of Hebrews is kind of summarizing all that he has said so far. Summarizing the superiority of Jesus Christ and the superiority of the New, Te- New Testament and the New Covenant. And we come here in these first 18 verses and he's, he's literally concluding all of the doctrine that he's relaying to us really since chapter 1. And we get into the final warning later in this chapter and then to the great chapter of faith and some means of application in the chapters to come. But as I was thinking about these verses, the first 18 verses, this is really the thought I want to relate to us today. As the writer of Hebrews has been emphasizing this over and over again, I want to emphasize it one more time. Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. That is, if you walk away with anything today, I want you to walk away with that thought today. Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. May I summarize, before we dive into these verses, may I summarize the whole content of the Old Testament for you in one word? I know it's going to be hard to do, but, but let me summarize it for you in one word. Condemnation. In fact, the Old Testament revealed to us that we are condemned by the law. Condemned means to be declared guilty. And so when we open up God's law, we literally see that we are condemned. We are guilty of breaking God's law. And then if I could take it a step further and summarize the New Testament with one word, it is this word, reconciliation. So we see the first covenant, the first testament is all about condemnation revealing to us that we are condemned and we need a perfect sinless savior and sacrifice to atone for our sins. But then the New Testament reveals to us that the whole purpose of this Matthew to Revelation is that God is seeking to reconcile his creation back to himself. So Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. He has come to free those who are guilty by the law so that they can be reconciled to God the Father through him. Now, that being said, today I want to emphasize on the imperfection of the Old Covenant in verses 1 through 6 and share with you three reasons why I believe the Old Covenant is imperfect. And then in verses 7 through 18, I want to emphasize on the perfection of the New Covenant and share with you seven reasons why the New Covenant is perfect. So will you come with me as we journey through this passage of Scripture? Let's look in verses 1 through 6. Here's the first thought today, the imperfection of the Old Covenant. That is, the Old Covenant is imperfect. It is not perfect. And that's why we needed a new one. And underneath this thought, verse number 1 teaches us this truth. The Old Covenant was imperfect because it could not provide access to God. The Old Covenant was imperfect because it could not provide access to God. Now, I know that you're thinking, Brother Brian, man, this guy, he sounds like a preacher. He's repeating himself over and over since like chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and here in chapter 10, he's just repeating over and over again. Why is he doing that? Well, I like how one person summarized the thought of repetition. Repetition is the key to retention. That is, repetition is the mother of all learning. And so the writer of Hebrews is driving home a point about how superior Jesus is and how superior the New Testament is and how imperfect the Old Covenant was. And in verse number one, we see how the Old Covenant 
could not provide access to God. And that is why it is imperfect. We see that the first three words mentioned the law. We see that the Old Testament, back in the first five books, reveals to us some strange, weird laws to our New Testament mindset. And here we see that they were just a shadow of things to come. Imagine if you were walking down the street and you saw your spouse or you saw your friend there. You saw your coworker walking on the street and you begin to look at the, your, that person's shadow. And instead of talking to the person, you begin to strike up a conversation with the person's shadow. Everybody's looking at you like, man, that dude, that lady done lost her mind. That guy's done lost his mind. And you begin to try to, try to communicate with, with the, the shadow about what you had for dinner the night before and what you ate for breakfast and what kind of mocha, karma, whatever drink you had from Starbucks. We see that that would be foolish. And we see that the Old Testament was simply a shadow of things to come. That is the New Testament. And here we see that that, it, that verse number one, the writer of Hebrews is simply saying that, it, that, that to say, he says all of this to just emphasize this point, that the Old Testament could not give us access, full, complete, total access to God himself. Notice it says, it can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. He says, you can never be made complete because you had to go in every single year and sacrifice year after year after year and you could not have full access to God. That's why the old covenant is imperfect. Let's look at verses two through four. Here's the second reason why the old covenant is imperfect. It could never remove sin from the people of God. The old covenant was imperfect because it could never remove sin from the people of God. Verse number two says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. He says, hey, if, if, if all of these things had to be done year after year after year and the New Testament didn't come along, he says, we would have to continually be still doing all these things. But then it says, because at the worshipers, most likely is referring to the Old Testament believer here, perhaps even the high priest or perhaps even the priest or maybe perhaps all of the Jewish believers. He says, these were worshipers. These were individuals going into the tabernacle, going into the place of worship and lifting up their sacrifice to God. And it says that they were once purged, should have no more conscience of sins. He says, if all of this was perfect and we, 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 he, in other words, he says, if the Old Testament system was perfect, there would be no need for a new sacrifice on the cross. And we understand that the only way to be purged, the only way to be cleansed, the only way to be purified from our sin is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse number three, it says, but those sacrifices, but in those sacrifices, excuse me, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Remember, the writer of Hebrews is just reminding us about how unique the Old Testament was, how they went in every single year and there they marched in the Holy of Holies. And, and the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing this over and over and over again to drive home the point that, hey, we no longer have to do this anymore. And they did this. It was a credit card effect, as we've shared before. And their, their sins were temporarily forgiven until the next year, and they had to do it again. But they were not eternally forgiven until the great sacrifice came on the cross, Jesus Christ. 
And then verse 4 lets us understand that no bull, no cow, no lamb, no goat. no matter how much of their blood was shed, could never cleanse us of our sins. We sang this morning, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the lamb? Today, we need to understand this, that the only way to be cleansed, totally purified, totally, totally cleaned up of, of our sins is through Jesus Christ. Only way. There is no other way. It doesn't matter how many times you sacrifice those little turtle doves, those bulls, or those lambs, or those goats, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, quarter after quarter. Doesn't matter which priest you got to do it and to be involved in there. Doesn't matter which high priest was involved year after year. There is no way outside of Jesus Christ to be cleansed from your sins. It could never remove sin from the people of God. And that is why God could not allow them to have direct fellowship with them like he does today and like we will have into eternity. Because that Old Testament system was imperfect. But now look at verses 5 and 6. I want to share with you the third reason why it's imperfect. The Old Covenant was imperfect because it was an outward reminder of their need for God. So the question is simple. And when we read this passage, why would God want the Old Testament Jew, why would he want the Old Testament saint and believer to go through these sacrifices week, year, month after month, and year after year? Well, the reason why is to remind them of their sin. To remind them that they are contaminated by sin. And the only way to be purified is through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Look at verse 5. Now, verses 5, 6, and 7, you need to understand this. That as the writer of Hebrews, just like he's done previously, he has an Old Testament passage in his mind. And in this particular case, it is Psalm 40. And we see here that he quotes Psalm 40, and he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And then verse 6, it says, In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. God only allowed the Old Testament system to be in place so that it would remind the Jewish believers about their sin and how they needed the Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament to come and do away with sin for all. The Old Testament is about condemnation. And we see here the imperfections of the Old Covenant, that it could not provide access to God, that it could never remove sin from the people of God, and it was an outward reminder of their need for God. But now let's transition, and let us look from verses 7 all the way to verse 18, the perfection of the New Covenant. Today we will see that, that the writer of Hebrews is comparing and contrasting the old ways with the new ways, with the Old Testament, with the New Testament, with the Old Covenant, with the New Covenant, with the condemned law of God with the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. And today, now, as we transition, we've seen why the Old Testament was imperfect and why there was a need for a new one. But now I want to transition and, and ask this question, why is the new covenant perfect? And I want to share with you seven reasons why it is as we walk through these last several verses. In verses 
In verses 5 through 7, here's the first reason why the Old Covenant is perfect. It reflects the eternal will of God. Of course, we see in verses 5 and 6 a quotation from Psalm 40. But then in verse 7, the writer of Hebrews continues that thought. And he says, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, check it out now, hear these words, to do thy will, O God. Jesus came and he did something that we could not do. No matter how much I try each day, I can't keep God's law and I cannot fulfill out God's will. No matter how much discipline I may apply to my life, there's no way I can fully, totally, wholeheartedly submit to the will of God. And before you think you're some super saint, neither can you. None of us can. Only Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, was able to do that. And that's why here we see a reminder about him doing God's will. Remember the garden? Now, I'm not talking about the garden in your backyard where you go get those nice fresh tomatoes and cucumbers. I'm talking about the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus didn't go out and cut the blood out of the produce, but where he bled, where he sweat drops of blood. And we see that in that garden, he was praying and he prayed all night. I remember the first time I was asked to to be involved in an all-night prayer meeting. I thought to myself, man, what in the world am I going to pray about all night? I mean, I need, I don't know if you've realized this, but your boy needs his beauty sleep. <laughs> a lot of beauty sleep. <laughs> um, and I remember going to this prayer meeting, and I thought to myself, man, what are we going to pray for all night? And then when I got there, I realized that they just had hours dis- sectioned off for each dormitory. And there we went, and I thought to myself, man, and a, a full hour? I don't know if I can pray for a full hour. So we we walked into this sanctuary. It was a smaller sanctuary on the campus there. And there, there were prayer cards lined up all on the altar. And we got a prayer partner and we went up to the altar and we grabbed a stack of those prayer cards. We went back to our seat. And I tell you what, to my surprise, that one hour flew by. We see that when Jesus was in the garden, he was praying. And you remember what he prayed? He said, God, take this cup from me, but nevertheless... Not my will, but thy will be done. We see in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus prays the Lord's prayer and he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see that it was God's will for the Son of God to come to this earth so that he could do away with the Old Testament ways. And that leads us to verses 8 and 9. In verses 8 and 9, we see the second reason why The new covenant is perfect. It replaces the old system of sacrifice to God. It replaces the old system of sacrifice to God. So the new covenant is perfect because it replaces the old system of sacrifice to God. Every single time that Old Testament saint were to take his sacrifice of the lamb and place it on the altar, it was to typify the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world to take our sin. Every time that the holy holies was opened up and the high priest would march in and sprinkle the blood there, we understand that it was typifying that one day the blood of Jesus Christ would be spilt on Calvary so that we could have life. 
Look at verse number eight. And here we see that the writer of Hebrews has in his mind, again, a continuational thought of Psalm 40. He says, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And then listen to these words. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. You need to understand that those words that were flowing out of this mouth of a preacher to these Hebrew believers was crazy thinking in their minds. They grew up Jewish. They grew up underneath the Old Testament system. They, they understood the Passover. They understood all these feasts and these festivals and these laws and the burnt offering and the fellowship offering and the peace offering and the sin offering and all the other offerings and sacrifices. And he says here, Jesus has come to take away the first covenant so that he could establish the second covenant. I'm like, whoa, man. You mean to tell me we got to give up everything that we've known? Imagine if some, imagine if I came next Sunday and I said, everything that you think of, we're going to take it out of here. We're going to remove this and I'm going to sit on a chair and have a little stool. We're going to take up all the pews and you're going to sit on the floor. There's going to be no heating in here. So we're going to worship at 35 degrees next Sunday. He'd be like, man, that's crazy talk, bro. And here, as they're listening to this guy preach, they're like, man, this is kind of crazy talk. But he's reiterating this point and point and point and point that, hey, there's no need for the old covenant ways because Jesus has come and he's fulfilled all those sacrifices. So there's no need for us to go back underneath the old covenant. I know it's not a real temptation for us, but there was a temptation for these Jewish believers to go back underneath this Old Testament system. And now we understand we don't need that system anymore. But the more we understand the Old Testament, the more we will understand the New Testament, especially some of these passages like today's. But now let's look at verse 10. As I read verse 10, I I want to relate to you the third reason why the new covenant is perfect. It sanctifies the child of God. It sanctifies the child of God. The new covenant is perfect because it sanctifies the child of God. God, look at verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I love the use of this term sanctified. Here in this passage, are you ready for it? It means to make one holy. Ceremonially, it means to make one purified or to be consecrated. In other words, to be set apart. It means to be hallowed. Here, we see that the only way we can be set apart, that we can be made holy, is through Jesus Christ. Today, I think we understand that a lot of people get sanctification wrong. Sometimes today, just as you have clearly seen, that I am not wearing a tie today, and and all of my peers and, and my professors in Bible college would crucify me because of it. But today, I purposely chose not to wear a tie to emphasize this point. That holiness and sanctification is not about how we're dressed outwardly. It's how we're dressed inwardly. 
Today, it's not about how nice and polished my shoes are. It's not about how, how nice of a, of, a, of a double Windsor knot of a tie I've tied and make sure I have the dimple in there and how nice of a white shirt I'm wearing, how creased it is. It's not about how, how long of a turtleneck you're wearing, ladies, or about how, how lengthy of a dress you're wearing. Listen, sanctification is about God stepping into our lives and making us more like him from the inside, and then it will be manifested on the outside by the actions in which we lived. Not necessarily by how we dress. Not necessarily about which music we listen to or some of these other areas that we, we misinterpret sanctification. Yes, I understand that when we're sanctified, we'll want to dress modestly. Yes, I understand when we're sanctified, we'll want to, we'll want to listen to Christ-honoring music. I, I get all that, but I understand this, that sanctification is about a transformation of a lifestyle, and only Jesus can do that, only him. So here we see in verse 10 that Jesus came and died so that we could ultimately be sanctified and made holy through him. And there is no other way. If you're trying to be sanctified some, some other mean, you can forget it. It's not going to happen. Notice in verses 11 through 12, I wrote down the fourth reason why the new covenant is perfect. It removes sin from the people of God. It removes sin from the people of God. The new covenant is perfect because it removes sin from the people of God. Look at verse 11. It says, And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The burnt offering, the peace offering, the fellowship offering, the sin offering, all the offerings could not fully and completely take away our sins. Only one sacrifice does that. And this is the sacrifice of Jesus. Verse 12 says, but this man, who is this man? Of course, it is the only great man that's ever lived on this earth. And that is Jesus. No matter how great you might think you are or no matter how great I think I may be, we do not compare to the greatness of God Almighty incarnated in the flesh in the form of God the Son, Jesus Christ. But this man, that is, this man would do away with the Old Testament system. This man would die on the cross. This man would have his blood shed on Calvary. This man would give us life so that we could have it more abundantly. And this man, after he had once offered sacrifice for sins forever, that means for all eternity, that means there would be no need for the high priest to go in the Holy of Holies. There would be no need for you to go buy that little goat or that little bull or that little lamb or that turtle dove and that pigeon. Today we understand we don't need any of that anymore because Jesus died once and once for all. And he sat down on the right hand of God. This is a figure of speech to know that Jesus is on his throne and that his work is accomplished until his coming. Today, we see that only Jesus Christ has the divine capability of totally, completely, wholeheartedly removing our sin. Now look at verse 13. Here's the fifth reason why the new covenant is perfect. It destroyed the enemies of God. It destroyed the enemies of God. The new covenant is perfect because it destroyed the enemies of God. Look at verse 13. It says, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. As I read verse 13 of Hebrews 10, I'm often reminded of some of the Psalms in the Old Testament where it's almost like a direct quotation here. 
about how he will make his enemies his footstool. And I think the writer of Hebrews has in his mind some of those psalms and some of those passages in the Old Testament. But, but, but the point here is simply this, that every enemy God has, through Jesus Christ, we can overcome. The greatest enemy of God is Satan himself. And underneath him is the devils or demonic spirits or the fallen angels, if you will. Then underneath that is death. Underneath that is hell. And underneath that is the grave. And I want you to know this. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated Satan. He defeated the armies of Satan. He defeated death. He defeated hell. And he defeated the grave so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Today, we should thank God that he destroyed the enemy. So today, I understand that our weapon, our battle, is not a physical battle. That is, we are not called to, the church is not called to march into the battlefield of temporal warfare like the armies of this world, but our battlefield is a spiritual battle and is not a flesh and blood, but a principalities and powers. And we are called to take the sword of the word of God and march into the battlefield and, and use God's word to overcome the enemy. Today, we understand that Jesus already destroyed the enemy and his future is the lake of fire. May I share with you the sixth reason why the new covenant is perfect? It forever perfects the saints of God. It forever perfects the saints of God. The new covenant is perfect because it forever perfects the saints of God. Look at verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. This term perfected, it means to be made complete in Christ. And so the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, I know we didn't fully understand it, but in that single moment, you were made fully complete in Him. You know, we try to find, we try to be made complete in so many different ways. For example, sometimes we try to find completeness in a spouse or a man or a woman. But you'll find out that, that when you wake up in the morning and that hair is everywhere, or at least what's left of that hair being everywhere, you'll find out that that individual was not as handsome or not as beautiful as they were on the wedding day. You'll find out that beauty fades eventually and that if you're trying to find completeness in a spouse, I'm, I, I'm here to tell you that when they burn the toast, you will, we, you will be disappointed. When they burn the bacon, or I, well, actually, that would probably be a good thing uh, for some people, for most people. But when they burn the biscuits, you'll not find completeness there. Sometimes we try to find completeness in a job. And when our boss lets us down or gives us a, a, an extra amount of, of work to do, we'll, we'll, we'll realize that we're not complete in a career path. Completeness is only found in Jesus. There is no other way. You'll never be perfect until you know the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And now we see that the writer of Hebrews kind of concludes his section by going back to the Old Testament again. We've seen two times he's quoted the book of Psalms, and now we see he's going back to quote the prophet Jeremiah as he did earlier in the book of Hebrews when he was introducing this thought about how the new covenant was for the Old Testament Jewish believer and how God first made that covenant with Jeremiah the prophet. So the seventh and final reason why the new covenant is perfect is this, it fulfills the promises of God. 
It fulfills the promises of God. The new covenant is perfect because it fulfills the promises of God. Did you know God is a promise keeper as we sung about this morning? He is a way maker and he is a miracle worker. And I'm thankful that because he's a way maker, because he's a miracle worker, we know that he is a promise keeper and God always keeps his promises. We can praise God for that. And we see that in verse 15, the writer of Hebrews gives us extra New Testament revelation about how the Holy Spirit inspired the words of Jeremiah the prophet. And we see that when we read Jeremiah's words, we are reading the words of God. And he says in verse 16, that this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. I love verse 17. It says, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Remember, he's quoting Jeremiah. He's going back to the days when Jeremiah was preaching and preaching and preaching to a group of people that did not want to hear the word of God and the household of the congregation of Israel when they should have wanted to hear God's word. They did not want to. And so God brought his judgment upon them by allowing them to be taken captive by the Babylonians. And they, the Babylonians, by the way, mistreated Israel. And because of their mistreatment, God dealt with them in a form of judgment. We see how Nebuchadnezzar was a man who ate like a beast in the field. We see here that that the sins that I believe in context of Jeremiah is the continual rejection that the Israelites had to God Almighty and worshiping false gods. And we see that through this new covenant, through the promise of Jesus, that those sins of the Old Testament will no longer be remembered. I'm thankful today that if God is able to forget all the sins of the Old Testament through the Messiah's work on the cross, then we should be thankful that God is able to forget all of our sins that we've committed since the days that Jesus died on the cross. And so it fulfills the promises of God. We know that God is a promise keeper. Praise God. And then we see in verse 18, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. And we see the conclusion of the Bible doctrine section of chapters 1 all the way here to chapter 10, verse 18. And I know that the writer of Hebrews has repeated himself, and, and I'm sure that if, that if you've come and you've, you've sat in these services and you've endured the study of the book of Hebrews, that, that some Sundays I might have sounded like a broken record repeating myself only because the Word of God has been repeating itself. And hopefully, through the repetition, it's all now sinking in. But here's how we conclude this section. I guess here's where the sermon begins. Number one, God wants to forgive us. He does. God wants to forgive us. Listen, you could understand everything in the book of Hebrews, especially here in this chapter. You can understand everything about the old covenant, everything about the new covenant. But if you fail to understand this thought that God wants to forgive us from our sins, you failed to misunderstand the message of the Bible. In fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, every single one of us. What does it mean to sin? It means to miss the mark. That is, God's mark of perfection can never be completed outside of Jesus Christ, and we've missed this mark. In fact, we've missed the bullseye so much we haven't even hit the target. We've sinned. The Bible says, for the ways of sin is death. 
And because of our sin, we deserve total separation and and isolation from the presence of God for all eternity in a terrible place the Bible describes as hell. But I'm thankful that that even though Adam sinned, and, and in Romans chapter 5, we read about how his sin is passed down upon every generation since then. That means when we are conceived and born and we come out of our mother's womb, we are living in a sinful state. It is our nature to sin. And I'm thankful in the midst of that, Jesus came, praise God, that when there was none that could do good, when there was none that could do righteous, God the Son stepped into humanity to do that which is good and to do that which is righteous so that we could be made good and righteous in Him. And there we read in Romans chapter 5 that God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God. We read that, that Jesus died on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. And that's the message of Hebrews is that God wants to forgive us of our sins. In fact, John said it like this. He said, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He can forgive us. But secondly... God wants to transform us. God wants to transform us. That is the moment that we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's the moment of salvation. That's the moment of forgiveness. That is the transaction moment when God steps in to save us. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, So any man, woman, boy, or girl, Jew, Gentile can call out to him. But once we accept Christ as our Savior, Jesus steps in to transform us. He brings transformation. I'm afraid that religion tries to transform man by works. But Jesus transforms us through his work on the cross. I like what Paul said. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you may prove what is that acceptable and perfect will and good will of God. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. You ever seen how ugly a caterpillar is? I mean, it is disgustingly ugly. <laughs> I mean, it's nasty. It is atrocious. <laughs> it's not, not going to be my, my favorite insect of all. In fact, most insects are are hideous. But we see that the caterpillar goes through a transformation process and goes from, um, you know, (laughs) Mr. and Mrs. Ugly to (laughs) Miss America. And it turns in from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And you see, religion of this world is trying to take the ugliness of mankind and through works, transform it into something greater. But he can't do that. Only what Jesus has done is able to take us and transform us and make us into a new creature. As Paul said to the church of Corinth, he said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He said that Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. God wants to transform us. And then the last and final thought today is God wants obedience from us. 
That because he has forgiven us, because he has transformed us, we know that there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, that we are now safe and secure in our relationship with Jesus Christ and nothing can separate us from God's love. But because of that, he says, a leader in Romans, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. And so here in this passage, I want you to understand this, that you could understand every detail of the tabernacle. You could understand every detail of the high priest's role and the priest's role in the, in the tabernacle and all that service. You could understand every role of Aaron and Moses and Joshua and the prophets and, and the angels. You could understand them all. But if you fail to obey God's word, you've missed the point of the new covenant and really the old covenant. Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ is able to forgive us. He is able to transform us. And he wants obedience from us. But my question for you today is this. Is Jesus Christ your perfect sacrifice? Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.